John 10, verse 1 to 21. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Thank you so much for reading for us, Jesse. Um, we're going to be uh, diving into that passage, so keep it open. Um, you can find some space for notes um, there in the bulletin as well. Um, this is actually going to uh, conclude our series in John. We're going to take a break, and uh, we actually have a guest preacher next week, and then we'll, uh, we'll start a new series in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, but for now, let's go to the Lord and ask for his help as we seek to understand John chapter 10. Let's, uh, let's pray. Um, Father God, we thank you uh, so much for, uh, for these amazing words. I'm the good shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Uh, Lord, we thank you that uh, we come as people who are redeemed, purchased by Jesus Christ, uh, to hear you, our Good Shepherd, speak to us. And so we pray, give us ears to hear, uh, hearts that respond in, in faith and obedience. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I had originally written this sermon thinking that we were going to be installing uh, five new elders and six new deacons. And so I have to say it seemed like this passage was going to be the perfect fit for this Sunday. Uh, providentially, it happened to be the next passage in John. And of course, this image of shepherding is one that is commonly used in Scripture to describe uh, not just God, but also God-appointed leaders in the church. 
And so let me tell you what I was tempted to do, and maybe providentially it's kind of worked out well that I didn't do this. Now, I was tempted to use what Jesus says in John chapter 10 as an example. Perhaps say something like this, look, new elders, new deacons, this is your charge, to be a good shepherd like Jesus Christ. Uh, don't be like hired hands. Certainly don't be like thieves and robbers. Instead, lay down your life for these people, this church. And, and listen, we have to say it, to some extent, that is a fair point. Christ surely has to be our model for true leadership. In fact, when you see the context of this passage, that becomes even clearer. We often pull John 10 kind of out of its context, but in its context, there is a contrast between the shepherding of Jesus and that which we saw last week from the Jewish leaders. In chapter 9, Jesus performed an amazing miracle. He opened the eyes of a man born blind. And how did the Jewish leaders respond to that? Well, they put the man on trial. They interrogated him. They interrogated the man's parents. And because he was unwilling to denounce Jesus Christ, they put him out of the synagogue. Basically, they accused him of being a terrible sinner and then excommunicated him. And so, uh, elders and deacons, don't do that. That is not a model for Christian ministry. Uh, neither should you be like the unfaithful shepherds that we read about in Ezekiel earlier, uh, shepherds set on feeding themselves. Instead, all leaders, in fact, all of us lead in some fashion, and we, we follow Christ in this. Uh, we are called to be servant leaders who give our lives for other people. And yet, John 10 is not a lesson in servant leadership. We should be clear on that. In fact, this is not about our call to lead at all. Uh, rather, it is about who we choose to be our leader. Uh, this passage causes every one of us to consider who runs our lives, who it is that we really listen to. Uh, who will we listen to if we belong to God's flock, if we are truly God's people? Uh, who are the true leaders? In fact, who is the true leader? Uh, and of course, the answer in our text is clear. The answer is the Lord Jesus. And the aim of John 10 isn't to encourage us to be leaders, but rather to encourage us to recognize and rely on the true leader. Uh, and listen, I think this is the great need of the church, of any church. Uh, not that we have perfect elders and deacons who never sin and make mistakes. Of course, if that was what the future of the church depended on, we should pack up and go home, shouldn't we? I know the greatest need is this, that all of our elders and leaders and, and deacons and members, that all of us learn to recognize and rely on Jesus Christ himself. Uh, that we as individuals, as a church, will more and more look to the one true good shepherd. And so we have to say this is relevant to all of us. This is not just some charge to a group of new leaders. Uh, we are called to recognize and rely on Jesus Christ. And, and John 10 tells us why that is uh, an appropriate response for all of us. Uh, Jesus, uh, in this passage, uses two powerful word pictures or analogies to describe himself. Uh, the first is there twice. It's in verses 7 and 9, where Jesus says, I am the door. I am the door. Uh, from this, we discover that Jesus is the only way to true life. The only way to true life. And the second statement also repeats itself there in, in verse 11 and in verse 14, uh, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Uh, from this, we learn not only is Jesus the only way to true life, uh, but Jesus is the only source of true love, the only source of true love. Uh, and that is why we need him to lead us. 
And those are our two main points, if you're taking notes here. He's the only way to true life. He's the only source of true love. Uh, And that is why, whether we're elders or deacons or anyone else, what we need is to recognize and rely on Jesus. And so let's dive in. Let's think about the first reason to recognize and rely on him. Firstly, because Jesus is the only way to true life. The only way to true life. That's what Jesus means when he says, I am the door. He's telling us he's the only way back to God. The only way back to where we belong, the only one through whom we can experience the life we were made for. And this is such good news. I mean, consider what we've already said this morning, what we've already prayed. Back there on page two of the bulletin, we've already prayed and confessed that we are like straying sheep. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. And how true that is. How true that describes our lives, doesn't it? In the beginning, God made us for himself to be cared for and loved by him. Uh, But all of us, in one way or another, have wandered away. Uh, Like straying sheep, we go our own way. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. It's kind of old language, but I think it captures uh, our heart's uh, orientation perfectly. Uh, In doing so, we make a mess of our lives. We made a mess of society. We've made a a mess of the world, haven't we? Uh, And we've become prey for wolves. Uh, Left to ourselves, we stray to the edge of the cliff, or or perhaps even further. Uh, We walk away from God to our own peril. And yet, this is why Jesus came. He came to bring us back. As we read in verse 7, so Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Uh, And again in verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. It is a very provocative thing for Jesus to say in the context. The fold, the flock, is an Old Testament picture of of the people of God. By calling himself the door, Jesus is basically saying what he's going to say later on in chapter 14. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And we have to say this is a bit of a surprise when Jesus says, I am the door. Uh, I mean, in verses 1 through 5, Jesus uses this analogy of the flock, and his main point in those verses is this, that the sheep truly know the voice of the shepherd. And so surely we would expect Jesus to jump straight to verse 11. I mean, I am the good shepherd. Isn't that what it's all about? I think even the ESV has that as a heading. You know, this is about Jesus being the good shepherd. Then what is all of this about the door? I mean, why does Jesus do, do what my English teacher told me never to do? In fact, what he, he would grade us down for, you should never mix metaphors, should you? And surely the reason Jesus uh, says it this way is this, uh, that before we consider how Jesus is the good shepherd, how he loves and leads the sheep, we have to ask ourselves a more fundamental question. Do we belong in God's fold? Are we God's people? Are we God's flock? Or as Jesus puts it in in chapter 8, are we God's children? Do we belong in God's family? It's a vital question for each one of us to consider. Uh, And it is something uh, that none of us should ever just assume. It can be tempting to jump to Jesus uh, being the shepherd without ever being the door and therefore to make a huge mistake. Uh, Unless you come to him as the door, as the way in, unless you come to him as the only way to true life, until you put your faith in him as savior, then, then he isn't your shepherd. God isn't your shepherd at all. Unless you're truly a Christian, the image of God as the good shepherd in John 10 or, or perhaps in Psalm 23 should give you absolutely no comfort at all. 
know. You need to recognize and rely on Jesus Christ as the only way, the only way to belong. Uh, and why should you do that? Well, well, notice the contrast in our text. Uh, Jesus compares himself with everyone who came before. Uh, the way Jesus, Jesus encourages us to come to him is, is by comparing himself with the alternatives. Uh, look at verse 7 again. Uh, so Jesus again uh, said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Or all who came before are thieves and robbers. And in verse 10, what do thieves and robbers do? Well, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Now, verse 10 deserves a sermon of its own. That much is, is sure. But notice uh, the big idea. Notice the contrast. Uh, notice that according to Jesus, following him is a life or death decision. Uh, there are many other things, many other people who promise life but only bring death, according to Jesus. And consider for a moment even a few of the various options, things that promise life. Uh, firstly, we could say there is the legalistic path to life. That is, many people look for life in, in religion. Uh, that's what the Pharisees or other religious leaders at the time taught. Do the right things, pray the right prayers, join the right club, check all the right moral and religious boxes, and, and God will give you the life you deserve from him. Uh, that's the legalistic path to life and blessing. And I, I have to say, I think it's just as common today. It perhaps doesn't have as much of a religious flavor. It, it sometimes has today, I think, a bit more of a political flavor. Uh, and we see this, I think, on, on both the political right and the left. Uh, no matter which news source you read or party you align with, it seems to me there is always some sort of purity code there are things you say, things you don't say, things you do, things you don't do. Uh, they provide you with a, a kind of door, a path to life, to blessing, to belonging. If you want a place in the fold, you have to speak the right way. You have to act properly. Uh, but does that lead to life? I mean, does it lead to life? Just look at our world. Uh, put another way, can you experience true life by trying your best to be a good person? Or whatever that means to you. Uh, no, it never brings life. In fact, it only brings death, and it, it brings death, I think, in one of two ways. Uh, firstly, at least a despair as you realize uh, how again and again you fall short, even of your own imperfect standards. And then secondly, at least a, not just despair, but also for others, self-righteousness. You convince yourself that you're doing pretty well, uh, but rather than enjoying life, you actually spend your time judging and looking down on other people, uh, destroying relationships rather than building any sense of belonging at all. And so many people opt for another path, not the legalistic path to life, but rather the path of license. Do what you want. Do whatever you feel. Be free. Free to be yourself. You do you. And again, I mean, there are so many different versions of this, aren't there? There's a kind of a conservative desire to be free from outside government intrusion. And then there's a liberal desire to be free to express yourself however you like in public. Uh, does this kind of license provide a path to true life? Does this door really work? Uh, will you be blessed as long as you strive to live a life that is authentic? Uh, no, this always and only brings death. Uh, try to pursue life this way, and you'll find that, in fact, you are crushed. Uh, crushed by the weight of having to determine your own identity, your own destiny. Uh, you were created, uh, you were not created to be true to yourself. You can't find meaning within you. That you were created in the image of God. That you were created to reflect the God who made you. 
And so the only path to life is to come back to him, to be restored to him. Uh, I mean, how can you do that? Uh, It isn't through religion. We've already said that won't work, will it? And yet here is the good news. Here is Jesus Christ standing before us in John chapter 10. And and what does he say? Well, he said, I have come to earth for you. Uh, I, your creator, have come in the flesh. Uh, And here in John 10, he's telling us, I am the door. I am the way back to God. I am the way to true life. Uh, I am the way to salvation. And he is the one who came to give us abundant life, the abundant life we were made for. Uh, The life that begins now as we come back into relationship with God, uh, but life that we'll experience in all its fullness in the future when we, we, through Christ, spend eternity with God. Uh, But for, for now, can you see this? Can you see that Jesus is the only way to true life? And have you come to him for that life? Uh, Through him have you entered God's flock, God's fold? Uh, It's such an important question. It's an important question for everyone, not least for for new elders and new deacons. Uh, Foundational for leading others is your own personal faith in Jesus Christ. The only way to care for God's flock is if you have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. And so let's all examine our hearts. Let's ensure we have come through the door, which is Jesus Christ. He is the only way to true life. Uh, But secondly, we find here he's the only source of true love, the only source of true love. Uh, That is what it means that Jesus is the good shepherd. Uh, Now, I realize even to put it that way may seem a little bit strange to you. Uh, by calling him the good sh- himself the good shepherd, surely Jesus isn't talking about love. What Jesus is talking about, surely, is leadership. Uh, but what I want you to notice in the text is this. Uh, when it comes to the sheep and the shepherd, there isn't really so much an emphasis on, on leadership, but rather a stress again and again on intimate relationship. Uh, we see this as early as verse 3, describing the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. Look down at verse 3. Uh, the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. And then look at verse 13. Jesus says that he cares for the sheep. He says this by contrast with the hired hand. Uh, but verse 14 and 15 are perhaps where this comes out most clearly. That I am the good shepherd, says Jesus. I know my own and my own know me. And then in verse 15, Jesus makes this astonishing connection. He compares his relationship with his sheep to the intimate relationship between him and his Father in heaven. The point is surely this. Jesus truly loves his sheep, and his sheep love him. This isn't some sort of corporate leadership structure here. This This is an intimate relationship between God and his people. And so I'm saying Jesus is the only source of true love. He's the only way for us to experience the kind of love we were created to experience. In fact, there are three things we learn about this love of Christ in in this text. The three things that again and again provide a contrast with every alternative. Firstly, we see the love of Christ is sacrificial. Secondly, that his love is steadfast. And thirdly, we see his love is sovereign. It's sacrificial. It's steadfast. It's sovereign. Uh, Firstly, we find it's sacrificial love. That is to say, it's not self-interested. It's it's instead self-giving. In verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And how exactly is he good? Well, he tells us the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And this isn't hypothetical. It isn't just that he might lay down his life. 
And no, Jesus has laid down his life on the cross. At the cross, he gave his own life to save us from the greatest danger. We need to be clear, Jesus doesn't sacrifice himself primarily as an example. The cross is not designed first and foremost to be a model of servant leadership. Jesus laid down his life because that's exactly what each of us need. As we've already said, we are all like straying sheep. We wander away from God. Though he made us and loves us, we seek to live life our own way without him. And this puts us in mortal danger. According to Jesus himself, the greatest problem is this. It puts us under the wrath of God. We each deserve his judgment for living life our own way. And left to ourselves, we will face that judgment. We'll be cut off from the love of God for all eternity. And this is why Jesus came. This is why Jesus sacrificed himself. As we read in that famous passage in in Isaiah chapter 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And why did the good shepherd come? Well, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus came to rescue us from the wrath that we deserve. On the cross, he put himself in our harm's way. He sacrificed his own life to bring us back into God's fold. Uh, This love of Christ is sacrificial love. Uh, love Love that looks not to its own interests, but to the interests of his people. And this is why Jesus contrasts himself with thieves and robbers, isn't it? Thieves and robbers who really see the, the, the sheep as an opportunity for themselves. And this is why he contrasts himself with the hired hand. The hired hand will flee at the slightest hint of danger. The, the hired hand never puts themselves in, in harm's way. In fact, when I think about the, the hired hand, I'm reminded of a, a summer job that I had. It was a job that I uh, took while I was in college. Uh, While I was in school, I I worked for an employment agency. There were certain pros and cons to that. Of course, the main con is that they took a cut of the pay. The big pro was this. If there was a job that was assigned to me that I didn't like, well, I just gave them a call and I would be reassigned the next day. Uh, And I have to say, that only happened once. There is only one job that I just couldn't really sustain. Uh, One evening, I got a call. Uh, The bus would pick me up at at 7 a.m. That day, I would be working at a cement factory. Now, I didn't realize at the time that that would involve spending a day in a very hot, very dusty place, holding bags under a chute until they were full, then sealing them up and and packing them onto a pallet. Let me tell you, it was miserable. It would have been miserable for everyone, but uh, it was especially miserable for a, a weak, geeky kid, a kid that wore very thick glasses. I lasted the morning, and then I was out. My point is, that is the spirit of the hired hand. Uh, When the going gets tough, those who aren't so tough get going, going to the nearest exit in this case. Uh, As Jesus says in verse 12, he who is the hired hand and not the shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, then leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus isn't talking here about bags of cement, is he? He's talking about people's souls, people's lives. And all of us will in some way have experienced this, I suspect. People who have let us down. uh, People we have let down. And we have to say, when we we put our trust in someone and they let us down, that that tends to be so devastating. Uh, When someone seems to abandon us in time of need. 
Uh, after all, every single one of us, even at our best, uh, discovers at times that our love only goes so deep. Our love then bottoms out. It hits the bedrock of self-interest. And yet this is the amazing thing about Jesus Christ, isn't it? This is why he is the only good shepherd. His love is sacrificial. He never abandons us in time of need. And that is why I say his love is steadfast as well. It's sacrificial, but it's steadfast. This is surely the point of the contrast with the hired hand. Jesus cares for us so fully, so deeply, that he will never, ever, ever abandon us. We can trust him to help us navigate any and every danger. As he promises in his word, if you rely on him, he will never, ever leave you or forsake you. His love, his true love, is sacrificial and steadfast. But finally, his love is sovereign as well. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean that his love is strong. His love has power and authority. And consider this. Jesus has just described how he will give his life for the sheep. He's talking about the cross. And we need to be clear, the cross was part of God's plan. The cross was not a tragedy of a young life cut short. It isn't that Jesus accidentally died in the middle of a glorious mission. Nor is the cross a failure on Jesus' part, as if the bad guys won. No, the cross was, from beginning to end, Jesus Christ's mission. That is what we see in verse 17 and 18, isn't it? There, Jesus describes the cross in this way. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. In other words, it isn't simply that Jesus loves us in a self-giving and sacrificial way, nor that he loves us steadfastly and will never leave us or forsake us. The point is that he is able to do these things because of who he is. He is the sovereign, all-powerful God. Life and death are in his hands. He is the good shepherd, and as such, he is in control of everything. And what that means is this, nothing can overcome his love for us. He can love us sacrificially and steadfastly because he loves us sovereignly. Nothing at all can get in the way of him. I mean, how often have you wanted to help? How often have you wanted to love another, but you just haven't had the resources? Well, Jesus' resources are infinite. They never end. And that is why Paul could pen those life-sustaining, confident words in, in Roman 8, Romans 8, verse 38. There Paul writes, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that is what it means that Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the only source of true love. He is the only one we can trust to love us selflessly. Uh, and steadfastly and sovereignly. Uh, and this is why we should recognize and rely on him alone. It is why every single one of us should follow him and him alone as our true and faithful leader. And this is what all of us need to know, especially uh, those of us that will soon be elders and deacons. Uh, God has called uh, called leaders, uh, elders, deacons. He's called all of us to care together for his flock. Uh, no doubt the pattern to do that is the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to follow him. We, we need his strength so that we can show steadfast, sacrificial love uh, to those uh, we care for. 
Uh, but the big point, the most important point uh, this morning is this. Uh, that the only way to lead the church or your family or anyone else is yourself to follow the true leader. Uh, we need to recognize and rely on Christ ourselves. Uh, we need to come to him and through him as the door, the only way to true life. Uh, we need to rest and rely on him as our good shepherd, uh, the only source of true love, sacrificial, steadfast, sovereign love. Uh, we need to know what it means to be loved by him. Uh, that is the only way any of us could ever love and serve other people. You see, in one sense, the danger for a pastor or leaders uh, in the church is to believe that somehow we are the true shepherds. And in one sense, don't get me wrong, you know, leaders are called to shepherd the flock. Uh, but I'd suggest in some ways that uh, any leader in the church acts a little bit more like what Jesus calls the gatekeeper in these verses. Uh, our job is to recognize the true shepherd, Jesus Christ. Uh, our job is to encourage the sheep to follow him and not us. Uh, to help everyone and anyone to look to him and his word for guidance and support. And so this is our charge uh, for all of us, not just elders and deacons. Recognize and rely on Jesus Christ as the only way to true life and the only source of true love. He is the door for the sheep. He is the great and glorious good shepherd. Uh, let's turn to him now, shall we? Father God, we thank you that in Jesus Christ you have provided exactly what we need. Uh, the door, the way in, the way back to your fold. Uh, and uh, the good shepherd, the one who gave his life for us, the one who loves us and leads us. And so we pray even now that uh, whether we're listening here or even listening from home, that you would work faith in our hearts. Help us look to Jesus Christ. Help us recognize and rely on him alone. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.